All right, I'm gonna start this up. Mobilized Russians from the Northwest Russia are now said to have signed a form stating that they fully agree with the war in Ukraine, that they will fight under any circumstances for as long as it takes. They are also, according to the translation of the report, implicitly promising to perish rather than to surrender to NATO or to be captured. It's being reported right now that over the past two weeks, multiple individuals, including children, have passed away due to a mysterious illness that is breaking out in Pakistan. This follows a previous outbreak of a similar unknown uh, illness, which resulted in the loss of 21 lives. The CDC and other organizations for health are looking into this at this time. NATO is ready for a direct confrontation with Russia, according to the NATO military committee. But the alliance, he says, must first rearm. They know that we are giving all of our weapons to fight Russia. The question is, why are they allowing it to happen? <clears throat> a catastrophic mutating event will strike the world in two years. That's according to a report that says this is a global threat. That's Jürgen Stock, Secretary General They're of making Interpol. Shit. He mm -hmm. said this during a They're recent presentation. Shit. We need a global response, an enhanced and coordinated action, he says. Yeah. There are yeah. increased... Okay. Profits from multiple bad actors reaping in the cyber uh, theater. This is encouraging world leaders that they must act now. He says that new and sophisticated okay. tools could make it so understood. Don't need to be said without being able to access your checking account. You need to get gas, and your cards won't work. You'll be lucky if your water and your power stays on. The CEO of the company that stands behind the AI chatbot, uh, chatbot ChatGPT, says that in a worst-case scenario for artificial intelligence, it will be lights out for all of us. Of course, as you know, this uh, machine learning algorithm has been making its rounds. As with most artificial intelligence, it's now starting to scare people. In a recent interview, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, has said that there are pros, but there are severe cons to what is happening. During this interview, Altman was asked about what he viewed as the best case and then the worst case scenarios. As for the best, he says, I think the best case could be so unbelievably good that it's hard for us to even imagine. He adds that we can imagine what it's like when we have just unbelievable abundance, systems that can help us resolve deadlocks. They can help us improve all aspects of our reality. Then they can let us live our best lives. But I can't quite imagine it, he says. I think the good case is just so unbelievably good that you sound like a crazy person even when you start talking about it. That's because it truly does have that kind of potential. Now, I have a background in computer programming, so I understand that with a press of a button after a few lines of code, a machine can do the work of hundreds of man hours. Now, they have accelerated that greatly. 
Now with the ask of a question and the press of the return key, you can get an answer to some of life's, some of life's most currently unknown questions. They're using it to unwrap cancer. They're using it to know exactly what will or what likely will start nuclear war and how many people will survive it. They're using it to uh, industrialize different aspects of industry. They're using it to basically make computer programmers obsolete, artists obsolete, writers and authors obsolete. His thoughts on the worst case scenario are extremely bleak. The populace is scared. The bad case, according to the creators, is important to say. It's lights out for humankind. I'm more worried about an accidental misuse, he says, in the short term. So I think it's impossible to overstate the importance of AI safely and its safety as well as its alignment work. I would like to see much more happening. Experts right now agree that ChatGPT will be abused. It will be used for carrying out scams because all you have to do is ask it, what's the best way to get somebody to give you their credit card number? What's the best way to ask somebody to help you with something? It will be used to conduct cyber attacks and its likes, maybe not chat GPT, but others like it will be used for the spreading of misinformation. In a strictly VC interview, Alden pushed back on concerns. He says, we've adapted to calculators. We have changed how we test things in math. This is just a more extreme version of that. But the chance to benefit humanity is right around the corner. Now, I want you to remember closely that during the development of nuclear weapons, they were developing nuclear power to benefit humanity, right? And how much has your electricity bill went down over these decades? How much have you benefited? Oh, but wait, they were using our taxpaying money to develop solar power to benefit humanity. But you paid for it. And now you pay higher than ever electricity bills. They will never use a weaponizable tool for your advantage. In other news, China is investing heavily in modern military capabilities, according to reporting outlets. They are investing in long-range missiles that can reach all NATO territory. They are significantly and they are rapidly expanding all nuclear weapons capabilities. We can see how China is now coercing and they are intimidating countries. For instance, those countries in the South China Sea, those countries that matter for global trade and for the freedom of navigation. The NATO chief has called for stronger security ties with Japan and South Korea. They said that NATO and free and open Indo-Pacific allies must counter China. The most important message is that I strongly believe that we need to strengthen the partnership between Korea and NATO because security becomes more and more interconnected, he said. This was in his uh, regards to his upcoming trips. What happens in Asia, the Indo-Pacific, matters for Europe and it matters for NATO. And he says what happens to NATO matters for the Indo-Pacific. Stoltenberg has said that NATO will remain the regional alliance of North America and Europe, but has stressed that our region is affected now by global threats, including Russia and China. Challenges, that they say, that lie beyond our region. Can you start to see between the lines here how they have grained the verbiage 
between saying that we are at war with the world and just using words like territorial integrity and infrastructure and other terms that do say we are at war with China and Russia, though they won't say those quiet parts out loud. As long as nuclear weapons exist, NATO says, NATO will remain a nuclear alliance because a world where China, Russia, and North Korea have nuclear weapons, but NATO allies do not, is a more dangerous world. We need to address global threats and challenges, he says, including challenges coming from China. And the only way of doing that, of course, is to work more closely with partners inside of the Indo-Pacific. On concerns that Russia's invasion of Ukraine have emboldened China to seek to bring Taiwan under its fold, Stoltenberg noted that authoritarian world leaders are watching carefully to what extent the Russian president is able to succeed in this war of aggression, as they call it. If Putin, he says, wins in Ukraine, then the message will be that when President Putin and other authoritarian leaders use brutal military force, I want you to remember how the U.S. went into Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, as NATO says this. But he says, if Putin and other authoritarian leaders use brutal military force and violate international law, then they achieve what they want. He added that it will be dangerous for us all, including for Korea, because the message is that the use of force is something that is a way for authoritarian leaders to achieve their goals. He says Taiwan is a prime example. He described North Korea as a security threat, a global threat. He cited reports of North Korea's support for Russia in the Ukrainian war. We can see now how the volunteer group, which plays an important part of the Russian war of aggression, has received ammunition and missiles from North Korea, he says. Of course, North Korea is a threat to the whole world. It's a global security threat. You can see them laying the groundwork now. They are getting ready to take this war to the next stage. Life expectancy in the USA is already going down. Now politicians want to raise retirement age to 70 years old. Under a newest proposal, Americans could expect to be able to enjoy their retirement for only six years before they die. That's as the most recent life expectancy estimates hold, but they could go down. So you could see a lot, the majority of Americans perishing before they ever get a day off of work. Two years and nine months less than the pre-pandemic average, a larger drop than other wealthy countries have experienced in the same time periods. It's harder to retire in the USA than in other countries, they say. Older Americans have a higher poverty rate than those living in wealthy countries. Do you hear how they're starting to not even refer to the United States of America as a first world country? They speak of wealthy countries in opposition to the USA. By contrast, according to the reports, millions of people are protesting in France. They are striking because the government wanted to propose a raise in the military in the retirement age just by two years. Do you see anybody striking in America? No, because they will do as they're told. We've been perfectly conditioned. We have been executed on perfect 
programming. More than 40% of Ukraine is now mined. That's according to estimates, some say up to 60%. Different European news outlets speaking to experts about why landmines are used, how difficult they are to clean up and get around, how you as an individual need to understand tripwires and booby traps, and the fact that they pose true lethal dangers mean that you need to wake up. Contamination, they say, is massive. That's Katerina Templeton from the Mines Advisory Group. She says it's not even comparable to Syria or Afghanistan. It is really massive. Of course, international law prohibits the use of various mine types, particularly those that are designed to target individuals. They say Russian forces are using these. Of course, other independent reports say that the Ukrainian side is too. Ms. Templeton continued, you will see anti-tank anti mines. You will see anti-personnel mines. You will see traps. You will see unexploded ordnance. You will see cluster munitions. Now that's something that maybe you never even thought about teaching your children to look out for. Do they know what booby traps or what trip uh, wires even look like? Now, we did a Patreon card recently on the use of these types of attacks in conflict. How a lot of times something will look out of place, but it will be just too good to pass up. If everybody is short on ammunition, well then maybe a case of ammunition must be looked at by an enemy combatant. If everybody is bleeding out, then a first aid kit might be something that your enemy would pick up. If everybody is hungry, then the cupboards of your home might be somewhere that enemies look. The refrigerator, maybe the garden outside if it's flushed over with ripe vegetables, maybe the chicken coop, maybe the front door. You have to be ready because this, the Ukrainians, the children there did not think this was their future. And right now it might seem very far away from your future. And you might think there's no way as I envision America in 10 or 20 years, will I have to deal with that? The Ukrainians thought the same thing. Many Middle Easterners thought the same thing just a decade ago. And here they are. The horror stories are endless. Military watchers say that the Czechs electing a former NATO general over a pro-Russian populace is more important than you think. They say this is going to lead us into World War III. In 1974, an average one-bedroom apartment rented for 60% of the minimum wage. This year, an average one-bedroom apartment rents for 101% of the minimum wage. Average nominal rent increased from $165 a month to $1,170 per month. They know what they are doing. I can't express to you how much, how imperative it is for you and your family to help other people take things seriously. One of the questions that we get asked over and over again on this channel is how do you talk to somebody who has no interest in preparedness? The only thing that I can say to you is to not scare them, but to lead on by action. You know, a lot of people are more depressed today than they ever have been before. They're anxious, they're worried, they're concerned about everything. We see shootings all over the country. We see just horrible things happening every day. People are losing their lives all the time. 
We see road rage increasing, violent crime on the rise. We have police organizations messaging local citizens saying they better be ready for what comes next. And so instead of giving people more of the scare that they turn off already because they just can't mentally cope with the reality of what we face today, just lead by example. You are sound in your preparedness. What I mean by that is you don't have to worry about the price going up too much because you have a little bit of food put away in your pantry. You don't have to worry about not being able to get clothes because maybe you know the skill set of mending what you already have, repairing what you have. When a car has a minor problem, you probably can look it up and figure it out yourself. This is how you help other people. You are the calm in the middle of the storm. They will look to you. You are the light in the middle of the darkness. So instead of feeding them the same information that you use to know what you're doing is right. Just show them that you are the calm. Say, hey, do you want to go out camping? Do you want to go fishing? I'm going for target practice. Do you want to come with? Maybe we'll do a little bit of, you know, first, uh, you know, first time user target practice. Hey, I'm taking a slingshot out to uh, try to up my skill. It's kind of fun. It's an adventure. Do you want to come with? I'm going wild edible identifying. Let's take a hike together people will catch on and they'll want to do these things more than they will say dig a bunker because that's where we are at thank you guys for being here with us every single day on youtube one of the best places to bring you actionable intelligence and information on a daily basis please check back with us tomorrow here on full spectrum survival from my family to yours please stay safe and keep watch this week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you, by all of our members on Patreon. Make sure you check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS if you're looking for long-term food storage. You can use the code FSS15 to get a 15% discount there. I don't take any commission. I get zero commission. The discount is there for you. Also, contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 for a discount on real antibiotics that you don't have to use right now. It's a basically an insurance program. What I mean by that is you buy it now and you hold on to it because maybe in eight months when you need it, you can't get a hold of the doctor. Use the code FSS10 there if you're looking for antibiotics, real ones by real doctors. Most of all, remain aware of what is happening. Stay safe and keep watch. the funeral was held for Tyree Nichols, who was beaten to death by five thugs in the Memphis PD. Among the speakers at the service was Al Sharpton. Even Vice President Kamala Harris showed up, though not Joe Biden. On a side note, Barack Obama showed up at Mother Emanuel Church after the massacre there at the hands of a white supremacist. But then again, Barack Obama understood that nobody was going to be asking him about any sort of police accountability commission or any sort of legislation dealing with thugs and blue. And nobody was going to ask him what kind of legislation was going to be passed to criminalize white supremacy or to criminalize anti-black violence. He knew that wouldn't be asked either.
But back to the funeral of Tyree Nichols, Al Sharpton gave his predictable, old, shock-worn speech about what a shame it was and how black people shouldn't be preyed upon by the law, etc., etc. As for Kamala Harris, what she was doing amounts to nothing more than a pre-stump speech for her own would-be 2028 campaign. She still thinks she's going to lay the groundwork for that. The audience for these windbags seem to be black people in general, and I don't mean the ones who were in the pews at that church. They simply used Mr. Nichols' casket as a prop for their little show, and the congregation was merely a backdrop. But it's not the Democratic show lies or liars that concern me. It's the reaction, or rather lack thereof, of the black people who were there. We've seen black people stand up to this kind of blasphemy, but we've only seen it once. At Brown Chapel AME Church in Silva, the congregants stood up and turned their backs on Mike Bloomberg when he thought he was going to launch his presidential campaign in their church. And why did they do it? Because they knew Bloomberg was an anti-black racist liar who had led the charge to oppress, harm, and even oversee the killing of black people in New York. And they understood that he had fled all the way to the deep south because he thought that nobody down there knew about his crimes, or at least they didn't feel strong mm-hmm. enough to defy him openly, especially not yep. after their own pastor led him into the church. Fortunately, he was wrong. Those black congregants stood strong in the faith. The problem is, though, that was a one-off. The bad guys keep using our churches as backdrops for their own propaganda because our people don't make it clear that we won't allow the devil to go unchallenged in the house of God. Apparently, we keep waiting for some angels to appear. When the truth of the matter is, we are the angels. While Al Sharpton, Kamala Harris, and even the family members of Tyree Nichols, and a whole bunch of other folk from the community and religious would-be leaders were busy getting FaceTime for the cameras, I heard one phrase constantly throughout the videos of that service that made me roll my eyes. Right. That's right. Tell them right. Right? Really? And what exactly was right about anything that was said? Not one syllable about what punishment will be carried out. In fact, nobody said that God was displeased with the violent killing of this young man. In the Bible, Jesus himself condemned the Pharisees and others in his sermons for the innocent lives that they were responsible for taking. He even put names to their victims thousands of years before say their name was a slogan. Jesus used his sermons to call the murderers murderers. But the frauds trying to pass themselves off as religious leaders are just pulpit pimps whoring their congregations to whatever power players come along. And that is not okay. See, I want to talk about the black folks who are constantly yelling the word right over and over and over again to what they were hearing. Oh, so-and-so said this. That's right. Why were they calling anything right? Did they even know? The problem is black people use that term out of habit, not out of conviction. It's a Pavlovian response. A people who have been robbed of power have also been robbed of spirit. And without spirit, you can't have self-determination or even think for yourself. Right indeed. Perhaps this is something that came out of religion or the slave identity foisted on black people, that our superior morality should be a substitute for power, wealth, and influence that we ought to have so that we can't bring about a condition of justice. I really wish black people would stop it with this obsession with being right. This is the phony black identity saddled onto us by the white media and politicians. It's that noble underclass nonsense that we have superior morality compared to the privileged society that we live in. Well, let me tell you something. Morality and prosperity are not supposed to be mutually exclusive. 
They're supposed to go hand in hand. One is supposed to lead to the other. Moral people work hard. They are honest with others, which is supposed to make business easier and more straightforward with them because they're dependable and predictable. Moral people make it a point to learn. Moral people have a vision for themselves and their society. They want tomorrow to be better than today, and they're willing to do what it takes to make it so. We keep having these circular arguments with these white supremacists, and to us, we think that we got a W if we can point out how we're right. To us, that's what it's about, is how the dominant society is wrong. To us, it's all a moral argument. We think that if we can just argue persuasively that our point of view is correct, that, that we've done something. Well, our track record of winning moral arguments is impeccable. When it comes to arguing our morality, we're undefeated. But when it comes to winning progress, our record is an uninterrupted parade of failure. This is the problem with letting white power convince you that the question is one of proving that you're right. Because that's all we've done. You're right, and you're still powerless. You're right, and you're still impoverished. You're right, and you're still oppressed. This is the siren song sung to us by agents like the Congressional Black Talkers and these civil rights groups and these pork chop preachers. White supremacy is not concerned about being right. Richard Spencer himself told you that one, that it was more important to him that he win, and that means dominate us, that's his definition of winning, than it is for him to be morally right. Now, of course, I am not appealing to any of the twisted, perverted ideology of Richard Spencer. The point that I'm trying to make is we live in a real world where you got people who have made it very clear your morality is not of interest to them. They're not trying to win a moral argument. Now, over here in the land of black empowerment, we're not trying to win an argument. At least that's how we should be thinking. Black empowerment is not an argument of right and wrong. We already know that we're right. We know the white supremacists are wrong, and that's that. It's a settled issue. By the way, that's how the enemy understands things as well. He has no problem with you going around and around in rhetorical circles like a dog chasing his own tail because it changes nothing. We keep repeating these patterns because we tell ourselves that it costs us nothing just to do this. Well, that's not right. It costs us everything to live a lie. It costs us everything to waste our time. It is an act of mental and spiritual suicide to call our impotence in the face of white supremacist aggression right. But simply being right isn't enough and never has been. Right requires might. Otherwise, it's not right at all. It's just an empty opinion. Justice cannot exist under siege. It must prevail. We have to make our peace with the fact that we will simply have to make the sacrifices that justice and power demand. Because if we don't, then the only thing we're going to be sacrificing is our own lives. Perhaps some of you would like to see Reverend Sharpton come to town and deliver your eulogy. Well, actually, you won't be seeing it. But after Sharpton gets into his usual and hollering and empty bullying, the next morning he'll then go on Joe Scarborough's show where they'll pat him on the back and give him an boy. This is the same Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski who both blame Tamir Rice for his own murder. That is until the video came out. It's the same Joe Scarborough show where trash like Mike Barnacle say that it's the responsibility of black people to learn to trust the police. Sharpton doesn't dare call them on it because the same racists who give Scarborough and his anti-black pals a platform are also the same ones who have thrown a few crumbs Sharpton's way as well. Neither Sharpton nor anyone else will ask whatever became of Biden's much ballyhooed White House-level police accountability commission the one that Biden promised to enact during the 2020 campaign, 
Oh, the black media has talked about this failure, though. I've harped on that one nonstop. As soon as Biden was sworn in, he immediately said, well, I'm going to let Congress handle that thing. It was his very first promise that he broke, and he hasn't mentioned it since. And neither have any of these bootlicking Negro puppets like Sharpton. Kamala Harris is vice president, but no one's going to confront her on it either. We'll be told lies and tall tales that they just couldn't get it through a Senate that Democrats had the majority in, by the way. But when it came time for an Asian hate crime law, the Senate wasn't an obstacle at all. And the same thing for the gay marriage law. Everybody else gets policy. We get nothing. And then these same people have the nerve to turn around and lecture us that we have to vote for them or else we won't get anything. This is what happens when you con yourself into thinking that the goal is to show that your position is morally correct, when the goal ought to be to show that your position is unassailable. Being factually and morally right is supposed to be a means to an end, not an end unto itself. It is the starting point for justice, not its terminus. What we are ultimately supposed to be striving for is to see that what we know to be right will be manifest in the real world. Otherwise, it's a pointless intellectual exercise at best, and a horrific waste of time at worst. The white media, whom are all anti-black racists, will gladly pat you on the head and tell you that they sympathize with your plight, but we don't need sympathy. We need the ability to make sure that those who attack us are punished to our satisfaction. This is not some debate. It's a war against our right to live. That's what it is. Amening some self-serving blowhards because you think what they're saying is making a moral point, that's meaningless. Everyone can agree that we're telling the truth and that punishing those who harm us would be the right thing to do. But then they all turn right around and try to give us a million phony reasons for why they shouldn't have to do it regardless. And then we go on to let this cycle play itself out over and over again as the bodies pile up and as the killers are allowed to walk or at the very least, they're allowed to continue doing so as a group. Well, I'll tell you this. There's absolutely nothing right about that. Good evening, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Tyrone Jones, Quincy X, Morris Bodden, Glenda Tice, and Oscar Cockrell. Salute to them, and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.